Well, good morning again, church. Good morning. One of the most famous parables is my privilege to share today. All summer we've been dealing with the parables of Jesus, which are just stories that he shared, object lessons to help teach spiritual truths. And so today, the one that we are dealing with is Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan, probably one of the most famous. And uh, here's, here's the reason why I say it's probably one of the most famous parables in the whole Bible, because it has become a cultural understanding in our day. Everyone in our culture, regardless of whether they are a Christian or not, understands what a Good Samaritan ought to be or is. Here's, an, here's a number of examples I'm going to show you from, I just pulled these off of Global News, a whole bunch of stories, and every one of them have Good Samaritan in the title. The first one is a man who saw a sheep that had fallen into a creek and couldn't climb back out. He jumped right into the creek, waded in to help this poor old animal to get out. He was called a Good Samaritan. Uh, the next one is a very different story, although still related to water, a a person was drowning in the Capilano River. Anybody been to the Capilano River or bridge in BC? Beautiful spot. I've traveled across that bridge myself. It's not a place you want to go swimming. I'm just telling you, don't do that. Somehow a person fell in and was in the, um, the throes of drowning and a good Samaritan dove in and actually helped the drowning man get out of that water. Here's another one that comes from India. Hard to see what the picture represents, but a little boy fell off the platform uh, in India of a, of a train, a railway, and uh, he was in danger of an oncoming train. A worker jumped on the tracks, heaved the boy back on the platform, and just got off in the nick of time. The video is striking. And uh, the Ministry of Railways hailed this man as a good Samaritan who saved the boy just in the nick of time. Here's another one that comes from our nation, again in BC, RCMP. Uh, they say a good Samaritan, a 46-year-old man, scrambled down an embankment to help free a driver whose car had rolled off the road. But the good Samaritan was injured when the, the car rolled onto him. So two people injured there. Here's another one again from Vancouver. A lady, a woman just last month, is now searching for a team of Good Samaritans, a team of Good Samaritans who helped her in her time of, of need after her wallet was stolen. Uh, so they recovered it, and she's trying to find them and thank them for her, her, the blessing they were to her. Uh, this one comes from Winnipeg. A man had just recently had a whole new roof put on his house, and then a big storm came and the roof leaked, so apparently he did not choose a good contractor. And so his neighbors were called Good Samaritans because the neighbors came together and put a roof on his house. Excellent stories. Here's one just from me now. Two weeks ago or so, I was in Louisville, Kentucky. Did I say that right, Chris? Something like that? And uh, I was studying there for a couple of weeks in, in some education. The first week, I was able to share a hotel room with a friend of mine, a guy from my first week class. Second week, I was not able to find someone to share a room with and help um, divvy out the costs of that room, so I just left a note in the class website, hey, is anybody interested in sharing a room? And uh, that didn't happen, but one of the guys in the class said, hey, just come and stay at our house for the week. We don't live far away. And so they were a beautiful family, had never met me before, but they acted as good Samaritans to me. 
and what a privilege it was to share a few days with another Christian family from another nation sharing the goodness of God together. So I've experienced that recently, uh, an attitude of a Good Samaritan in my life. Pretty obvious, isn't it, what a Good Samaritan is? But just in case you're wondering, this is what the dictionary says. It's a charitable or helpful person helping someone else with a random act of kindness. This theme reminds me of that famous song from a number of years ago on the radio, which said, More Than Words. You might remember that song. It says, You wouldn't have to say that you love me, because I'd already know. So today, we're going to focus on Luke chapter 10, and also the table of the Lord, and consider what our faith is as more than words, more than head knowledge, if we are to live out the story of the Good Samaritan, that means that we are acting as Christ's representatives in more than words. So I've asked our worship team today to actually dis describe and display Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. So if you're not there, turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25, and let's listen as the worship team reads. my neighbor. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this is part one of the Good Samaritan. Pastor Jacob will pick up where I leave off today and finish it up next week. 
Luke chapter 10, verse 25, which was described and acted out by the team today. The very beginning, just notice some of the details in the text. Luke chapter 10, expert of the law, an expert of the law. Pay attention to that, to that title that he's given. Someone who should know better. Someone who knows all about the Old Testament, the Torah. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But he didn't just say that. The text says that he tested Jesus, or he wanted to. Doesn't that remind you of the words that Satan tried to test Jesus in the wilderness, and Jesus said, you shall not put your God to the test? Not a good idea. Nonetheless, the expert asked this question, and as is very customary, Jesus answered his question with another question. He said, how do you read it? In other words, you're the expert. What do you understand to uh, inherit eternal life? And the man answered correctly. Look with me at verse 27. We sang these words a moment ago. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the man answered correctly. Right answer, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. Notice that Jesus in his response doesn't just, doesn't just let the man off with, okay, you understand conceptually the right answer. Jesus said, do this, and eternal life is yours. So it's more than head knowledge. It's more than intellectual assent, more than words I'm saying today. So here's the first point. If you're writing things down in the little notes, sermon notes, here's the first point. Believe the truth live what you believe. So it's not, it's not good enough just to live nicely in our culture. It's not good enough just to live as a good person. There is a truth to believe that's based in the Bible. It's loving the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. There's truth written into those words that are important. And loving your neighbor as yourself Jesus said, okay, you understand it, but do this and you will live. Luke records that the man wanted to justify himself, and so he went on to ask, who is my neighbor? It's a strange question, isn't it? I can, as I read between the lines, which I sometimes like to do as I'm studying, as I read between the lines, I can almost picture, I can almost hear disdain. A snide remark dripping from the man's voice. Who is my neighbor? Again, rather than replying with a direct answer, Jesus replied with a question, but he introduces the question with this parable. Good Samaritan parable, verse 30. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. So a man, assuming this man was a Jew, traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, it says he was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, we can't understand this as, as if we're traveling from Hamilton to Port Dover south. It's not south. If you look on the picture, Jericho is around 25 kilometers northeast of Jerusalem. So the man wasn't going south. He was going in a different direction. But Jerusalem is 2,500 feet of, above sea level. Jericho is 800 feet above sea level. So he was physically going down in elevation it was a long walk, 25K on foot, dusty, dusty, arid, arduous trek. On the way, as you know, was acted out so well. 
The story says he was attacked by robbers. Assuming he, they stole his clothes, but also his money, he was left for dead. And Jesus is telling this story. Now, you understand, it's not a real, it's not a real account. It's a story. It's a fable, but these parables have real meanings behind them. So Jesus chose the characters in the story. The first one he chose to come and meet this man on the road was a priest. So we have to understand why did he, we have to ask, why did Jesus choose that person? Well, priests in that day were God's representative. They offered sacrifices on behalf of the people, on behalf of, of the nation of Israel, to make atonement for the sins of the people. So of all the people that should have known better, should have had compassion, this was the man, the priest. But he didn't. He didn't even have the courtesy to come close. He walked by on the other side of the road. The next one that come up was a Levite. This, this other leader in Israel also should have known better, should have had the heart of compassion, should have had the heart of love that's built into Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And who were the Levites? The Levites were the musicians. The Levites were the worship leaders. And so this one should have also understood love for neighbor. But he ignored, ignored the physical needs of this person and bypassed him. So the next person Jesus chose in the story was a Samaritan. And isn't it ironic that he chose the very one that in that culture was not supposed to love Jew, a Jew. Samaritans were the sworn enemies of the Jewish people and vice versa. They kept separate. There was an ethnic divide in those two communities, perhaps like we don't even understand today. So think with me now, John chapter 4, you don't need to turn there, but this is a story that represents Jesus actually meeting a Samaritan person, a Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4 is that beautiful and scandalous story of Jesus who came and talked to a Samaritan. That's strike number one against him. He, he spoke to a Samaritan woman as a single man, that's a strike number two against him. But not only that, she was a five-time divorcee and was living with her sixth man. That's another strike. He should not have been around her. But Jesus did not walk by on the other side of the well. He drew near. And he changed her life, and he changed the nature of worship forever. Do you see how in this story, Jesus modeled the very thing he is teaching us through the Good Samaritan's parable. He models the very thing he asks of us and of all who claim his name. He is our supreme example of more than words, love, and care for others. So back to Luke chapter 10. The Samaritan man started with pity. The Bible says that he had pity on the man. That means he had a feeling of sorrow, of compassion, caused by the suffering and misfortunes of the man. He bandaged his wounds. He, he put him on his donkey, took him to the inn, and paid for his care. So Jesus, after this story, Jesus finally answered the expert in the law's question, again with another question. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the one who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the answer is so obvious, isn't it? 
the man who had mercy on him. The one who had more than words faith in his heart. So this other line that was up on screen maybe a moment ago says, God's love in us must overflow into God's love through us. It's a good line to think about in your own faith in the Lord. God's love in us must overflow to God's love through us into others. This reminds me of a, of a very common scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We, we often speak these words in times of memorial services and funerals as we think about how we can care for others who are sorrowing in that moment. It says, Jesus comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort he, we ourselves have received from God. This is what Jesus asks of us. He's asking us to let his love overflow through us to others. So here's another point, point number two on your outline. In order to care for others, you need to first notice them. So we understand that the priest and the Levite, they noticed the man, but they didn't really see him, did they? They didn't really see his need. They saw their own self-righteousness and walked right on by, their own pride. So here's a point. In order to care like Jesus, we need to notice others. Didn't Jesus notice people? All the time. All the time. He would step on the rules of the land, Sabbath rules, any other rules, in order to care for the people that were right in front of him. He healed people. He wept over people. Even over the whole city of Jerusalem. He prayed for people. He died for people. So we need to notice others. We need to care like Jesus, who stopped and talked, talked to a woman in Samaria, changed her life forever, and all of ours as well. Notice verse 37, Luke 10, 37. So Jesus asked the question in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. It's the more than words comment. But notice what Jesus did not do. He did not retaliate against the lawman who tested him in the first place. I think we probably would have wanted to do that in our own spirit. Jesus did not correct that man who tried to justify himself. We might, wanted, we might have wanted to do that as well. We, he cared for the man he was patient. Jesus realized that this teacher of the law knew his Bible, but it was not about head knowledge. The man knew about eternal life, but I don't think it had actually impacted his heart inside. He had not experienced what it means to have eternal life. There was no heart change. But isn't this our challenge today, friends, as we see stories like the Good Samaritan? We know all about it. We can quote the verses. We can read the scriptures. But it's harder to actually live those things out in more than words, faith. We listen to sermons and podcasts. We watch preachers on TV or the internet. We attend Bible studies and maybe even Bible college. Yet unless scriptural information causes transformation, we are like that expert in the law or the priest or the Levite who really couldn't care less about the heart of the matter, about the people that God brings to us. 
We are called not just to believe in Christ, but to live for him. We are called not just to say we care for others, but to actually do so. This is harder for those of us who are by nature task-oriented. That's me. I'm like Martha in the Martha and Mary story. I, d- I care for the details all the time. Harder for me to see the people that are there that need care. Harder for me. So I'm pointing at myself today in this parable. Those of you that teach God's word on a regular basis, you understand that when you study, it usually points at you first. And this does. Perhaps this was the problem with the priest. He was due at a, at a synagogue to give a sermon. And he had a time schedule to keep. He couldn't stop and help that man. Maybe this was the problem with the Levite. As a worship leader, he had a practice to get to. And he had no time to stay. Regardless, the text indicates that both leaders, it seems to indicate that both leaders considered themselves at a higher station, a higher position than the man on the road, and they would not humble themselves to help someone of a lower class. The inference from this parable is clear, friends. Unless we care for those around us, our intellectual beliefs mean nothing. Do you remember what James wrote? He wrote, faith without works is dead. The greatest commandment in verse 27 of Luke 10 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength. That's vertical, but not only that, love your neighbor as yourself, horizontal. The Samaritan, Samaritan person in this story could have used racial divide as a reason to avoid the man on the road. After all, Samaritans have nothing to do with Jews. But Jesus very intentionally crafted the parable in such a way that neither ethnicity nor social status keep us from living Christianly for others. Jesus said that we show love to him as we show love to others. Worshiping God is not only demonstrated through the songs we sing on a Sunday, but also in our gospel heart of care for others. There's another parable in Matthew chapter 25, which has a similar thought, a similar challenge to God's people of how we live. And it's the parable of the sheep and the goats. The story of the king and those who were operating and speaking with the king. So the righteous people answered the king, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Similar concept, isn't it, of more than words, faith lived out for others. So keeping this parable in mind, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the one who showed mercy, now we turn our attention to the table. Paul writes of a similar concern for the Corinthian church about how they were not showing care for each other as they gathered to worship and to eat. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the scripture that was read a few moments ago by our team. This is the very scripture that we often turn to at the table of 
of Paul who reiterated what Jesus started at the, the Last Supper, and he added more to it in context with the Corinthian church. So here's the context which relates to the Good Samaritan. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Paul says to the Corinthians, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Can you imagine, church, an apostle standing here on our platform and saying to us, your meetings have more harm than, do more harm than good. Wow. That's an indictment. They need to pay attention, as do we. Verse 18, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each one goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat or drink in? Or you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Wow. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. So this church in Corinth, they were divided ethnically and socially. Those who were richer, those who were poorer, you could just see the divisions in the church, and they were not coming together as one at the time of communion. And Paul said they can even negate the Lord's Supper if they eat this way. Let's look further into that text in verse 27 now. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A person ought to examine him or herself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So there's two aspects of the body of the Lord there. There's the body that's, that's physically represented in the, in the bread and the juice, but we are the body of the Lord, are we not? So we need to recognize the body of the Lord present together. So there's an aspect here of judgment against the Corinthian church because they were coming together in an unworthy manner, which means an uncaring spirit, prideful, maybe even as ritual rather than true worship. Isn't it easy to do that, church? Year after year, month after month, we come to this event of worship, and it becomes routine and rote, even ritual. We can't come in an unworthy manner. Paul sends the indictment against the church saying that they are guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Terrible. Rather, we come and we examine our lives before we brazenly barge into the communion feast and we ensure that our lives match what we believe, that our faith is more than words, that our actions match our knowledge, that we don't just say we care for others, saying hi, good morning, shake a hand, or not these days. But we actually show that we care in practical acts of service and love. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33. Here's, here's his instructions of what to do now. He says, I've, ch I've charged you against negativity I've seen. Now here's what you do. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. 
If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. So here's another point, if you'd like to write it on your sheet. Come together, commune with Christ. Come together, really. This is why it's important to be physically here together. You can see each other. You can share this community in person. So we come together. But not only that, we commune with Christ. He is here. But I, I want you to pay attention to those words that Paul said in verse 33. When you come together. So of course we come to the Lord at his table. But we come together to his table. There's no divisions. The ground is level beneath the table of the Lord. This is not a physical feast where we eat to be physically full, which some of them were doing in 1 Corinthians. This is a spiritual feast where we feed on Christ. Remember Psalm 34. It's one of the most beautiful psalms. The choir sang it last year. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't that what we do when we come to the table? We feed on Christ. We feast to be spiritually full. The parable of the Good Samaritan reminds us to live out our Christianity, especially in terms of how we treat others, how we care for those the Lord puts in our path. The extension of this is seen at the communion service, where we are instructed, we're even warned to come rightly before the table of remembrance. So friends, right now, before we actually take that cup in our hands, let's take a minute right now and come rightly. Let's actually respond to what Paul asks us to do in this text. Let's come rightly. Let's take a moment to take stock of our own lives in contemplation and humility. So let's just bow in a moment of prayer, and I'll, I'll ask you a few questions that might help you search your heart for a moment, and mine as well. Ask the Spirit to reveal to you areas where you have fallen short of God's glory and need Christ's perfection. Have you been unkind to someone this week? Pray for forgiveness now and make a plan to make it right with that person this very day. Did temptation win this week? Ask for God's renewal and strength for the coming week because he is faithful. Is there darkness in your heart? Bring it to the light of Jesus. Just take a moment and pray right now in your heart. Almighty God, we confess how hard it is to be your people. You have called us to be the church, to continue the mission of Jesus Christ in our lonely and confused world. Yet, we acknowledge we are more apathetic than active, isolated than involved, callous than compassionate, obstinate than obedient, legalistic than loving. Gracious Lord, have mercy upon us and forgive our sins. Remove the obstacles preventing us from being your representatives, 
to a broken world. Awaken our hearts to the promised gift of your indwelling spirit. Now I direct your attention to the screens as we read, confess together. Lord, you showed us true humility by becoming one of us. Yet too often we practice pride. You cried alongside your friends and for the city of Jerusalem. Yet too often we rush past the pain of others and are careless about our cities. You love those who are weak, despised, or cast out. Yet too often we love those who are strong, respected, or popular. You freely forgive, freely forgave and healed. Yet too often we hold grudges. Okay, you lived a perfectly holy life. Too often we do not yearn for righteousness. You prayed that we who believe in you should be united with each other and you. Yet too often we focus on the differences that separate us from other believers. You were mocked, whipped, and even killed for us. Yet too often we deny you. You call us to be salt of the earth and light of the world. Yet too often we blend into or hide from our culture. Forgive us, Lord, that we may shine your glory. Amen. Let's sing about it now. So friends, as we go from this place, let me encourage you to live more than words. Live your faith more than words, because Jesus said to that man, go and do likewise. So we say to each other, don't we? Go and do likewise. God bless you. Have a great week in his spirit and his presence. Amen.